0: reading right up to from uh, Exodus 33 verse 7 to 34 verse 14. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. but my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on sorry Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, And forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favour in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you're going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Great to be here with you this morning to look at this passage from Exodus. I'm just going to check my clicker. No, can I get a... I'll get a functioning one brought up while Mike's doing that for me. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. Why don't we pray for God's help as we get started. Father God, we're so thankful that you have graciously spoken to us in your word. Please help us now as we come to it to have open eyes to see its truth and open hearts to receive it with repentance and faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How would you feel if I told you that you could have a relationship with God closer than Moses? Closer than Moses who spoke with God face to face as with a friend. Closer than Moses who uh, was hidden in in the rock and saw the Lord pass by. Closer than that. Closer than Moses. Now you might immediately think, how, how can that be possible? Someone like me could, could be like that, to, to be like Moses and have that type of a relationship with God himself. And if that's, if that's you, if that's your initial reaction, uh, then this passage in Exodus is for you because it's going to tell us about the basis for God's intimacy with his rebellious people. Uh, so this passage has a question, a solution and a resolution. Question, a solution and a resolution. Uh, First, the question. The question is actually a hangover from last week. Uh, Last week, what we saw is we saw Israel blow up their special relationship with God. They made the golden calf. And if you remember, uh, there's fallout. uh, God refuses to go with them. This is Exodus 33, verse 3 from last week. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, God says, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Uh, they're facing the prospect of continuing on without God. And so the question is, how will God go on with them? How will God go with them? Uh, maybe if we put the same kind of problem, but in modern uh, uni terms, it's it's the end of semester, right? Uh, you're completely stressed, you're falling behind with assignments. And there's just there's this one essay that you just can't get to, and so you're desperate. And in desperation, uh, you go online, grab a couple of paragraphs from an essay on the internet. Of course, the union finds out, and they pull you before the disciplinary board, and they say, how did this happen? And you just say, well, I, just, I, I went to my computer, I pressed print, and out came this assignment. And... They say, sorry, this is plagiarism. You can't go on. It's over. How do you feel at that point? The the whole thing is blown up. You can't continue. And that's what Israel are facing right now. They've broken their special relationship with God and it's over. So the question is, how will God go on with this rebellious people? That's the question. What's the solution? Uh, The solution is actually a two-parter. It comes down to Israel's leader and God's character. So we're going to step through uh, the main part of the passage now and look at this. Israel's leader, God's character. The first thing that this passage makes clear is that Israel has a leader who's special to God. So verses 7 to 11 at the start, we have this strange interlude between last week and and this week. It's almost like a flashback sequence to before the golden calf, this time when God would meet with, uh, with Moses in this tent of meeting. Verse 11 says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. This special relationship with Moses. And so there's hope for Israel. If if you take the uni example, you've been kicked out, but there is someone who will speak for you, uh, the dean of students or someone. And so Moses appeals to God on behalf of Israel. He says, remember, this nation is your people, your people, God. Don't abandon them. And so it looks like it's worked. at Verse 14, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Okay. Crisis over, that's great. Uh, God's going to go with them. Except the you there is singular. Uh, God's talking to Moses. He says, okay, I'll give you rest. And so Moses has to keep going. He won't let go of Israel. He says, no, you have to take all of us. You have to take all of us. What hope do we have if you're not with us? Israel You see, we're meant to be God's special possession, this this holy nation amongst the whole world. And Moses points back to that, verse 16. He goes on, How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? If we're to be a light to the nation's God, you must be with us. You can't be the people of God without the presence of God. You can't be a uni student without a uni, right? You can't be a surfer without the ocean. You can't be a brother without a sibling. You can't be God's people without God's presence. But Israel has a leader who's special to God and so he pleads pleads with them. He pleads for them. And so God uh, relents because of Israel's leader. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you have asked, because I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. That's surprising, isn't it? That God uh, relents because of Moses. Why, Why is that? Why is God willing to... Uh, to take Israel back on account of Moses and his pleading? Uh, Well, it's because of God's grace. See, God is the one who has given Moses this special relationship, and Moses knows it. Look back at verse 12 there. Uh, Moses is saying to God, he's repeating to God what he's already told him. He says, you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. Uh, Favor there is the word grace. God has placed grace on Moses, and he knows him by name. That doesn't just mean that he knows his name, Moses. We all know that. It's a mark of him being chosen, this intimate relationship with him. And so because of God's grace, Israel has a leader to speak for them. And for the Christian, we have a far greater leader speak for us, don't we? Not just a friend of God who found grace from God, but we have one who said, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I and the Father are one. And if Moses wouldn't give up on Israel, how much more confident can we be when we have Jesus speaking for us? So part one of the solution is Israel's leader. But Moses still wants some confirmation. Uh, God has said he'll go with them, but uh, he wants to know it. He wants to to be certain. So verse 18, he asks, now show me, please, your glory. Can I have that in writing, please? Uh, Can I have some kind of down payment? Uh, Can I please have the taste test with the little spoon of ice cream just to see if that's the one? He wants some experience of God's presence if God's presence is really going to go with them. And he thinks, if I can see your glory, God, I'll know. But God can't do that. That's exactly the problem, right? A holy God can't come into contact with a rebellious people. Verse 20, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. God can't show that the blinding sun of his glory uh, to rebellious creatures. And so, uh, instead, God gives him something different, uh, but something even better. See, the ultimate thing that he needs to know in order to have confidence that God will go with them, the ultimate thing he needs to know is God's character. Uh, God will tell Moses his name. Verse 19, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. That's what he really needs. He needs to know God, to know God, to know God's character, what he's like. That will uh, be what confirms for Moses that God will go with this rebellious people. He'll do it because of who God is Uh, not just what he looks like, right? And so chapter 34, verse 5, this is how it goes down. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. How is it that God is going to be able to go with them even after the golden calf? Uh, Well, because of who he is. He is Yahweh, the gracious and compassionate God. Now, we need to remember that at this point, uh, Israel don't know this yet. Right? Uh, if you've uh, been around church for, for a while, if you've grown up as a Christian, uh, you probably think, of course, that's what God's like. He's a forgiving God. Uh, we know that. But Israel are facing this problem for the first time. This is, they're thinking, what will God do to us now that we've just kind of busted up this relationship? What are we going to do? How will God react? And if they thought of the gods around them, they'd just think of, of wrath, a vindictive and vengeful God or Marduk, the the far-off and implacable God. But Yahweh is the gracious and compassionate God. That's what he's like. He's defined by his unrelenting love. If you were to tell God's character in a story, you'd say that God's like a husband uh, whose wife uh, runs off And commits adultery. Uh, Not just once, but many times. Turns to prostitution and and spirals into self-destruction. And the husband pursues her. Tracks her down to find her. And to win her back with romance and tenderness. And it seems almost embarrassing. It's, It's almost desperate, isn't it? But... That's the, the character of God. And if it feels like that's not the right story, well, you just need to read the, the book of Hosea. That's the story that the prophet tells to describe God's love for his people. And so all through Israel's history from this point onward, uh, this is the expression they use. This is their refrain, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. It's in all their songs, all through the Psalms, Psalm 86, Psalm 103, Psalm 145. Uh, Even the prophet Jonah, right? Uh, So uh, Jonah, uh, God tells him to go to Nineveh, this uh, Assyrian city, uh, enemies of Israel, and he hates them He absolutely hates this wicked people. And so he doesn't want to go, uh, but God forces him there. And so in a huff, he does the the worst evangelism job possible, and they still repent. And the end of the book of Jonah, he's mad. He is spitting mad. And he says, I knew it. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah is appalled, but he knew it all along because this is what God is like. He's like that with everyone. And so back in Exodus, he'll go with his rebellious people because he's slow to anger and willing to forgive. God's character is the solution here. Now, that doesn't mean that God ignores sin. Uh, Verse 7 goes on to explain He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He's still a God of justice. He'll still uh, punish the guilty, and sin will still have its effects. But He's willing to forgive. That's what He's like. He finds a way to forgive. And so, when God appears to Moses on the mountain, it's like a physical demonstration of that. Uh, Moses doesn't see God's face, doesn't see what God looks like, uh, but he experiences what God is like. Because this God who is too awesome even to look at, uh, God makes a way for Moses to come near. And so he hides him in the cleft of the rock and covers him with his hand. It's It's a beautiful picture of of God, of His willingness to draw near to Moses despite everything, despite Moses and the people being rebellious, He's willing to draw near to protect Moses Himself. It's a picture of His grace. After this, we're going to sing uh, that old hymn, Rock of Ages. And it's a classic because it takes that very same picture. Uh, the, uh, the image of God using the rock to protect uh, Moses from his glory. It takes that image and puts it onto Jesus and says, Jesus is that rock, uh, cleft, uh, broken for us to protect us from God's holiness. And so uh, Moses hears God's name proclaimed, uh, hears his character. And he gets a a taste of that in the way uh, God uh, appears to him. So that's the solution. Uh, There in verse 9, Moses sums it up. He says, Lord, he said, if I have found favour, if I have found grace in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us, Israel's leader. And then he says, although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance." God's character, willing to forgive. That's the solution. And that's the solution for us as well. How can we be confident that God will go with us, that God is willing to, uh, to dwell with us? Well, if we look at ourselves, uh, then we'll, we will never have confidence. Uh, we'll see some huge sin in our past or we'll see some ongoing sin that we can't shake and we think, how would God ever want to be with me? with all of my faults that I feel so disgusting. Why would God do that? But that's not the reason why God is willing to to be with people. He does it because of his character, his grace, his unrelenting love. This passage has a question, a solution, and a resolution. And so finally, the resolution. Uh, The resolution comes... uh, towards the end of chapter 34, if you have a Bible. Uh, We didn't have it read out. Uh, What happens is Moses is up the mountain. Uh, God gives him the the stone tablets of the covenant again. And then from verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. His face uh, is radiant And everyone's afraid, but Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. That's the resolution. Uh, God's people finally have access. This relationship is restored through Moses. He's radioactive with God's glory having uh, heard God on the mountaintop and so he wears a veil. Uh, But he takes the veil off whenever he goes to speak to God from now on and when he speaks to the people. He takes the veil off so they can see something of the reflected glory of what it means to, to speak to the Lord. And so we have this veil down some of the time. There is restriction, but this relationship with God is restored. That's the resolution. Uh, The way is now clear for Israel to build the tabernacle, the the plans of the tabernacle that we got before uh, the golden calf. Uh, The way is clear now for the next portion of Exodus, for Israel to build it and for God to come and dwell with his people. That's next week. But we want to think about uh, the resolution in the New Testament. Uh, In the New Testament, uh, we see that what Israel experienced in Exodus was absolutely nothing compared to what it's like to have a relationship with God as a Christian. That's what uh, Paul says uh, in the letter of 2 Corinthians. He says it's the difference between the processing power of an abacus uh, versus an exascale supercomputer. Uh, processing a quintillion calculations per second, a thousand petaflops, if that means anything to you. That's the difference, because uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that to relate to God through the stone tablets of the law, that's like leaving the veil on, right? Uh, So, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 15. He says this, even to this day, when Moses is read, that is the, the, the Old Testament, when Moses is read, the law, a veil covers their hearts. People are, are distant from God. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. See, to turn to the Lord is to take the veil away and to finally see God. Why is that? Well, because in the gospel, in the news of Jesus, we see the reality in flesh and blood and bone. We see uh, the reality of the gracious and compassionate God. The ultimate display of God's unrelenting love is in the gospel of Jesus. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians later on, he says it's the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So if you've got the Gospel, then you're closer than Moses. There's nothing else you have to do. Uh, There's no special tricks to get this relationship. If you have the Gospel, then you've seen the image of God in the glory of Jesus. But it's even more than that, isn't it? Because to receive the Gospel is to receive the Spirit of Christ. This is uh, what Paul goes on to say, verse 18, he says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, which we see in the gospel, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And that's something that Moses never had. Moses had nothing like this. The Christian is being transformed into ever-increasing glory because the Spirit's work is inside us, transforming us as we contemplate Christ in the Gospel. So if you receive the Gospel, if you receive the Spirit, uh, then you're closer than Moses. It's like uh, Moses got to see a violin, uh, but we've been to the symphony We've seen the full orchestra in all of its glory and somehow been swept up into it all because of God's wonderful grace. That's the resolution for us. But we haven't finished yet. I've got one more shin, uh, a bonus to finish. We haven't done justice to this passage in Exodus until we've seen the implication the implication. The implication is for undivided loyalty. Uh, in chapter 34, verse 10, God reinstates the covenant. The, the stone tablets uh, are rechiselled out. The old contract has been ripped up, but uh, now there's a new one and it's put back in front of Israel. Uh, will you sign? Will you worship Yahweh alone? And so for the rest of chapter 34, uh, all these worship instructions, the ones that we've heard before, they all get repeated. Uh, The Sabbath, the festivals, the ban on idols, they're all uh, put forward again. And the implication is that Israel must have undivided loyalty to Yahweh. If God's going to go with them, then they must worship him and him alone. Read from verse 12 with me. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a Jealous God. God proclaims his name... Uh, the gracious and compassionate God abounding in love and his name is also jealous. How do you feel about that? That God's name is jealous? Uh, We think of jealousy as this intensely negative thing, right? That we get jealous when someone has something that we don't have and that we want, like they get a promotion ahead of us or they get invited to that party and, and I was left out. But God's jealousy is different. God's jealousy is the flip side to his love. And the intensity of his love is why he gets jealous. It's like a loving wife is right to be jealous about her husband flirting. Because that affection rightly belongs to her. And if she loves him, then she'll be angry, passionate about that. Uh, The Bible, there's a book book in the Bible that describes love just like this, Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6. Here's the poem. Strong as death, passion, fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. And God's love is like that. A raging flame, unrelenting love, utterly faithful. And the strength of that love means that he's possessive about his people. He won't let their affection go to anyone else, jealous over them. And so the implication is that they must have undivided loyalty to Yahweh. And if that's true of them, how much more does that implication apply to us who have God dwelling with us by His Spirit, transforming us into ever-increasing glory. How much more does that implication apply to us? That we must have undivided loyalty to the Lord Jesus. Uh, Notice the danger is that Israel will take on the gods around them as they go into the land. Uh, The danger is that their neighbours, they'll just be drawn to worship what everyone else is worshipping. And so it's right for us to ask the question, what are the gods around us in our society that we're in danger of taking on? Uh, well, here's one way uh, to work that out. Uh, what are the lift-outs in the newspaper? Because that'll tell us uh, what our culture is obsessed about. There's uh, the food lift-out. There's uh, travel. Uh, Obviously, sport. There's not a single lift-out. There's like five sport ones in Australia. Career, weekend professional. Entertainment. All these things that our, our culture is willing to give their worship to, to give their devotion to, to base their life around? And you can think of heaps of others, can't you? The the lift-outs about uh, money and fashion. Which of these things are are we prone to, to be drawn to, to put our worship and hope in? We need to think that through because... This passage calls us to undivided loyalty. God wants all our worship, all our devotion, and he tells us, smash it down. Break down all the idols, all the sacred stones. Cut down all the goddess poles. Whatever it is for you in your life, what do you need to do to cut that idol down? Nothing less makes any sense if your relationship with God is closer than Moses.